I really appreciate every opportunity I have to uh, stand before you all and present a lesson. Um, you know, it is it is a uh, a blessing to be able to to be with with family this weekend. You know, we had a wonderful time over at Mark and Carrie's last night, and of course, uh, I always enjoy getting to be with my brother. And I get so much encouragement from coming over here and. And getting to, to see you all and especially to worship our God with, with you all. This morning, I'd like to talk about briefly what happens when you're baptized. And this lesson is really for those who might be right on that edge of making a decision to, to follow Christ and to put on Christ through baptism. But it's also, it could be for those who, uh, who have already done so. Maybe you've been in Christ for just a few weeks, like Colston, maybe for a year, maybe a decade, maybe a half a century or longer. And if you're in that situation, I hope it is a, a reminder of the wonderful blessings that you enjoyed when you were baptized and that you still get to enjoy as you continue to walk in Christ. I put this lesson together really um, after... One of my children came to me and, and talked about baptism. And, of course, we, we came to the conclusion that he wasn't quite ready yet. But, you know, it also wanted me to present this lesson while I was here because I was just, I've been so pleased with Colston and the decision that he made to put on Christ. And uh, Matt and I were talking about this, that it's just such a, a wonderful, rewarding thing as a parent or as an uncle to see your children decide to to follow in the Lord, it's uh, it's such a wonderful blessing. So, hopefully, this is a reminder to him of what he decided to do when he was baptized. And of course, just a level set. We're talking about baptism, which of course is immersion. I feel like I don't have to really say a whole lot about that. But the word baptism is a transliteration from the Greek word baptisma. You look at the Greek Bible, the you know the the original writing in the New Testament. They wrote the word baptisma, and we just transliterated that into baptism, which that word baptisma means to immerse or submersion. And of course, we understand that uh, baptism is the culminating act that demonstrates a faith that saves. In other words, baptism now saves you, as we know in first peter chapter 3 verse 21 says and it's also for in acts 2 38 the remission of sins and so <clears throat> what happens when you're baptized well there's four things that i want to touch on the first of which is that when you're baptized the weight of guilt is replaced by the joy and assurance of salvation this is quite the emotional swing from the time you rise out of the waters of baptism if you're thinking correctly about what sin is and what sin does. This weight of guilt, this weight of guilt is, is really is conviction. It's conviction of, of sin. And this guilt, there's really three things that you can do with this guilt. One is that you can just carry this weight of sin around with you. You can carry this guilt with you as you go through life. And it will just drag you down to, to depths that you just don't want to be at. The second thing you can do is over time, you can take this guilt and you can start to justify your actions. You can start to sear your conscience. 
and you can convince yourself that there really is nothing wrong there and that I really don't have to do anything and that all is good. And of course, the third thing you can do is to remit your sins, as we read about in Acts 2.38, and we remit those sins through the blood of Christ, through baptism. And this conviction is usually what drives people to make that ultimate decision that, that pushes them to that final step of being immersed in the waters of baptism. Look at Acts. Look with me in Acts chapter two. <clears throat> Acts chapter two, a passage we're very familiar with. The example we go to for baptism being for the remission of sins, and then the verse before that, in verse thirty-seven, Acts two thirty-seven. After Peter preached the sermon, he said, "It says they heard this and they were pierced to the heart." That's that conviction. That's that conviction of sin that we're talking about. Other versions may say that they were smitten in conscience. Well, what is all this about? What, how can someone be smitten in conscience or be pierced to the heart? Well, it comes to the proper. It comes from the proper and mature understanding of sin and what sin is and what sin does. You realize that what you've done is wrong and that the consequences of that, the consequences of sin is death, as we're told from Scripture. This understanding of what sin is and the consequences should lead to, to fear and guilt that produces this weight we're talking about. If you ever had the thoughts of, well, I hope no one finds out about what I've done, or what if I died in my sleep? If you lay awake at night thinking about those kind of things. Or what if, what if I died in a car accident? People die. Every, there's 30,000 people a year in the United States that tragically die too soon from car accidents. What if that happens to me? If you lay there and think about and feel guilty about, I've wronged so many people in my life. Or maybe you say, you know, I've made such a mess of my life with the choices that I've made. My life is in shambles because I've been a slave to sin. Or maybe if you're trying to console yourself with thoughts like, well, I hope that God will let me into heaven anyway, regardless of my sin. And of course, why should he if we haven't obeyed his commands? These are the kind of things that, that we think about whenever the weight of sin is pressing down heavy upon us. David describes this perfectly in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 12, Psalm 40 and verse 12, he writes that my iniquities have overtaken me. Psalm 40 verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. You know, sometimes this burden, this weight of sin is so heavy that you can't even see the next steps that you need to take. You just, you don't even know where to turn. You don't know what to do. It's so overwhelming. In Psalm chapter 38, flip back just a page or two. In Psalm 38, in verse 3 and 4, David writes about how there's no soundness in his flesh, no health in his bones. He says... His iniquities are over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. And often this weight of guilt can cripple us to, to inaction. We just don't know what the next steps are. We don't know what to do. It can rob us of our strength. 
In Psalm chapter 32, in verse 3, David writes, in Psalm 32, in verse 3, David says that when he kept silent about his sin, that his body wasted away. Sin destroys. The wages of sin are death. The weight of guilt is real. We cannot carry that with us throughout our life. And so, this proper and mature understanding of what sin is and what sin does, that sin brings that punishment, that fear of that punishment creates this burden that affects us down to our very bones, that's what motivates people. That's that conviction that people have that we read about in Acts 2, verse 37, of being pierced to the heart and asking, what do we need to do? And it's not just this you know, academic understanding of this is what sin is and this is what sin does. It's the realization of, oh, it's me. I have sinned. I'm the one who is wrong here. And so if you've ever had these thoughts, if you've ever felt these emotions, then you may have the knowledge of sin and what the consequences are. And this knowledge comes from God's Word. But there are people in this world that maybe don't have that full knowledge of God's Word, but they know that they've done wrong. There's something innate in us. There's this innate sense that we have done wrong, this morality that people have. They know that they've lied. They know that they've been selfish. They know that they've had anger towards others, and that's wrong. And people... We can use that when teaching others and let them know and and build on that with the proper understanding of that's sin and the consequences of that are death. And so what do we do with that? We can remove it. And that's what happens when we're baptized. That weight of sin, that guilt of conviction, when you're baptized, that is lifted off and it's replaced with joy and it's replaced with rejoicing. It's such a, a contrast of emotions that is, is hard to describe. It's emotions like relief. It's like a stay of execution has been given to you. The punishment is no longer there whenever our sins are removed. It's joy. It's the joy of obedience. It's the thought of, I did it. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I did it. It's behind me. It's emotions of, of thankfulness, thankful that the opportunity to, to have our sins removed is even there. And of course, there's rejoicing. In Acts chapter 8, the examples we have of, of people who heard this message, understood the weight of sin and the conviction, and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, the Ethiopian eunuch, <clears throat> we understand after he rose out of the out of the water, it says in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing, that weight of sin being replaced with rejoicing. What a wonderful thing. And then in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, he and his household were baptized. In Acts 16 and verse 33 and 34, it says that they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So hearing what is true, believing it, accepting it, and obeying it through baptism, obeying what you know to be true, brings a sense of of completeness and wholeness. And contrast that with the weight of sin we talked about. What a wonderful, 
wonderful thing to think about. And of course, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we alluded to that passage earlier. But in 1 Peter 3, 21, it talks about that baptism saves us, and it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for what? For a good conscience. That's the gift of God through baptism, is that we get to have a good conscience. That's what we're after. A good, clean conscience that doesn't weigh us down throughout our life. And so that's that's one of the biggest benefits and one of the biggest uh, joys of baptism is this weight of guilt being re- replaced by the joy of salvation. The second thing that happens when we're baptized is that we're added to Christ's body, which is the church. Looked weird on the screen here. I guess it's okay. We're added to Christ's body, the church. So being one with Christ, being in Christ's body, that's that's a hard thing to think about sometimes. How can we be one with Christ? There's a lot of scripture about abiding or, or being in Christ. All we know is that if you want to be with Christ in heaven one day, you have to be in him here on earth. You have to abide in Christ. Let's look at a couple of passages in Acts chapter 2. There's some, there's some added to statements I want to highlight here in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> We're talking about being added to something. We're talking about being like those in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says that those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? What were they added to? They were added to the church. They were added to his body, to Christ's body, to those who are considered to be among the saved. And look down at Acts chapter uh, 2 and verse uh, 47. It says 27 on the screen, but it's really 47. It says that they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who is their number in that statement? The Lord was adding to their number. Well, it was the Christians in Jerusalem. It was the church. It was those who were saved. The Lord was adding to their number. And of course, we understand that Christ is the head of the body, the saved, those who are considered to be in Christ. And we want to be a part of this body. We want to be a part of the body that Christ is the head of because that is who is saved. Look at John chapter 15 with me. There's some. This is a, a passage that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And we can learn a lot from this of what Jesus thinks it takes to be in him. And one of the things I want you to focus on here. Look at how many times Jesus says to abide in Him. And, think, and look at the blessings that we have when we abide in Him and what it takes to abide in Him. And then there's, in, uh, in verse 6, there's a consequence of not abiding. Follow along in John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father glor- by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding. Uh, The definition of abide is to accept or act in accordance with. We must abide in Jesus. We must be in Christ if we're going to be with him in heaven one day. And so, when you're you're baptized, you are in Christ's body. You are abiding in Christ. That's what puts you in the body of Christ, which again, are the saved. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it talks about uh, that Christ is the head and Savior of the body. That's where we learn that Christ is the head and the Savior of the body. And we know in Ephesians 5, verse 25, the you know, analogy of husbands and wives, but it talks about that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so when we talk about the church being in church, being in the body of Christ, those are one and the same. We're talking about those who are saved, the body of Christ, which is his church. And of course, we know that in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, though it includes those who have been sanctified, cleansed through the washing of water with the word. And Colossians 1.24 just says that his body, which is the church. So I'm bringing these passages up to make that, to tie all that together, to be in Christ, to abide in Christ, to be in his body, to be a part of the saved, to be in the church. It's all tied to being baptized into him. And so if nothing else, be in Christ. That's the main takeaway from this point. Be in Christ. You want to make sure, if nothing else, that is where you are. And how do we get there? Like those in Acts chapter 2, we are added to their number at the point of baptism. So, we're added to Christ's body, which is the church. We're also, when we're baptized, we get to put on Christ. We're not just in his body, we get to put on Christ, which means you get to live a new life. You get to walk a new walk. It's talking about changing our behavior. If you're the same person after you're baptized than you were before, then you missed an important step along the way. We're supposed to change whenever we put on Christ. We can't fall into the trap that once we're baptized that the journey is over. We've made it. We've arrived. No, it's the, it's the beginning of the journey. The journey has just begun. The walk has just started. In Romans chapter 13, you turn to Romans 13 and verse... 14, Paul writes to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So putting on Christ means make no provision for the flesh. It means that we, uh, 
we resist temptation. We strive to have self-control. We pay attention to the <clears throat> lust of the flesh. And we strive to do something different than we did before the point we put on Christ. So Jesus invites us on this journey of rest, but also a journey of struggle when we put on Christ. Because it's not easy. This walk is, is not easy. He also invites us to this journey of peace, but also of trials. It's ultimately a journey of growth. He asks us to do all this because he wants us to be like him. And the way we do that is we strive to be like Christ by putting on Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus introduces this idea of being yoked, being yoked with him. Thankfully, this journey, we don't have to walk it alone. We have Jesus as our example. We have Jesus as our source of strength. He's our help, helper. <clears throat> He's our comforter. In Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my, my load is light. This weary and heavy laden, that's the first point we made about the weight of sin. <clears throat> but Jesus invites us to take up his yoke, to be bound together with him in striving to live a life pleasing to the Father. And what's interesting, we don't <clears throat> really talk about this in this passage a lot, but he says, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is offering assistance in how to do this, to how to live this life pleasing to the Father. He says, learn from me. Be yoked with me. Learn from Jesus' example. And in Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 and verse <clears throat> verse 3, we see that we join or we are yoked with Him in death through baptism. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 and starting verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin." So when we're baptized into his death, that's that crucifixion of our old self. We put the old man to death. And remember, we're yoked together with Christ. Just as he died on the cross, we are to die. And we're promised in Romans chapter 6 that just as he was raised, so too shall we be raised. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ... <clears throat> having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Remember, we're yoked with him. If we died with him, we're going to live with him. What a wonderful promise that is. But the point is that if we're baptized... 
We are burying that old man of sin, and we're rising to walk in the newness of life, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, as we read about in Romans Romans chapter 6. And of course, <clears throat> how, do we, how do we do this? How do we walk this new life? Well, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, there's some good thoughts there of how we can walk this newness of life. There's some, <clears throat> there's some good things to think about and to strive for. There's an expectation that we walk this path to be pleasing to God. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he says, uh, let's, let's look at verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, <clears throat> bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That talks about our behavior and making sure our behavior is, is worthy of the expectations of the Lord. And we bear fruit. What kind of fruit? In every good work. <clears throat> we know what the good works are. <clears throat> so we strive to do those good works. But then we also increase in the knowledge of God. That's why we're here this morning. So we can all help each other increase in the knowledge of God. <clears throat> so we we walk in good works, we increase in knowledge, and we also see in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 that we clothe ourselves with Christ. How do we put on Christ and start this journey to be like Him? <clears throat> well, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, it says, All who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's all, it's all tied together. We walk in good works. We clothe ourselves with Christ. We're yoked with Christ. We rise to walk in newness of life. And sometimes living this Christian life can seem burdensome. You know, we, we sometimes uh, miss out on things of the world, if you will. But as you mature in this walk and as you continue down this journey, you, you eventually realize that living a Christian life is the best life that you can live. Being pleasing to God... Uh, pursuing righteousness, increasing in the knowledge of God, it provides a fulfillment like nothing else. The, the riches and the pleasures of the world are only temporary. They only bring momentary happiness and joy, and they don't last. But what brings a deep and abiding, lasting sense of joy and contentment is pursuing a life of righteousness. And that's what we get to partake of whenever we're baptized. And so the fourth and final thing... <clears throat> That happens when you're baptized. It's not final. These are just four things. There's a lot more. But we get to partake in the blessings in Him, in Christ. We talked about this this morning in Matt's class uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. Anytime you talk about the blessings in Christ, you have to look at Ephesians chapter 1 that lists out so many bountiful blessings that we have in Christ. I just want to highlight a few of them here. Matt touched on a lot of them this morning in the class but we see in starting in verse 4 it says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through jesus christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed 
on us in the beloved. <clears throat> one of the things in this uh, passage in, in Ephesians 1, and we talked about it this morning, is that when you are in Christ, you are now a partaker of the whole purpose of creation. Uh, we talked about it uh, when we, we were in verse 10. Um, you know, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. My friends, this is why God created the the whole universe, is so that he can have a people of his own possession. And when you are baptized, you are one of those sons and daughters of God. You are part of those that people of his own possession. And it provides a sense of purpose to life that... You don't get that anywhere else in the world about why are we here. Well, we're here to be a people of God's own possession. That's why he created the heavens and the earth and a place for us to live and to thrive and to, to fill the earth with food and, and a way for us to be able to have children and continue it all on is so that he can have a people of his own possession, uh, bringing many sons to glory, as we read about in, in Hebrews and when we're baptized into Christ, when we put on Christ, we are partakers of something that is far, far greater than anything we can possibly imagine. In verse 11 of Ephesians 1, it talks about uh, being predestined according to His purpose. He works all things after the counsel of His will. God's purpose is for you and for I and for all who will hear and accept. He wants everyone to come to this understanding. He wants everyone to be a people of his own possession. As we read about in verse 14, it says, uh, it's a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Ultimately, the praise of his glory is what it's all about. So we get to enjoy that blessing of being a part of God's purpose. But we also, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. So we get to have redemption through the blood of Christ, through forgiveness of our sins. And we get to partake in God's grace, which it says we are, he lavishes it upon us. And we also get to, in, uh, also in verse 8 through 10, we get to understand his revelation. It says, In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things upon the earth. We get to have this, this increasing knowledge uh, in the revelation of God, which that's, why we're, again, why we're here today this morning, to be able to understand the will of God through studying <laughs> what He's revealed to us. And it's not that we, you know, we get to read it and study it and have a, you know, an academic understanding of it, but we get to truly know what it means and what it, what it does and what it, how it changes people's lives whenever we are baptized and submit ourselves to God. And so if you're not in Christ, you're just a spectator to all these things, to all these blessings that we read about. But when you're baptized, when you're in Christ, you have a better understanding of the meaning behind the Scripture and its instructions. You get to live them out, as it were. What a wonderful blessing. So, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are four things that I see that are uh, encouraging that happen when you're baptized. There's a lot going on here, and it's all just from a simple 
immersion in water. It's a simple act, but it has huge implications. And I think there's wisdom from God in making the access to all this to just be to submit to his conditions and to be baptized. Water covers 75% of the earth. (laughs) And you're always close to water. You can always find water to be baptized in. So I hope that there's someone here uh, that's been thinking of their salvation and that, that they'll take this one small step in order to enjoy all these blessings that we read about it may be that they have a desire to be pleasing to god it may be that uh, the fear of hell you know wanting to avoid hell is a great motivator in order to be baptized it may be a desire to stop living a sinful life and and to try a life of holiness and a life of trying to uh, pursue righteousness and it may be that that guilt of sin has been weighing someone down and they don't know what to do with it well i hope that this lesson has given some thought and some insight into how to take care of that weight of sin. And so if there's someone here this morning who, who needs this, all these blessings, who wants to be baptized, everyone here would just rejoice uh, and, and assist in doing that. Those that have already taken that step, we know that we stumble. We know that we fall. Just remember the blessings that you enjoyed when you first rose out of the waters of baptism. Ask God to forgive you. He's quick to forgive those who ask and those who seek. And everyone here will certainly pray with you and pray for you to help make it right before God. If anyone has a need, let it be known while we all stand and sing.